Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it is Sunday, the 21st of May in the year 2023. And I hope wherever you are around Australia or indeed around the world, you are enjoying the first anniversary of the Albanese Labor government's victory over Scott Morrison and the Coalition of Dysfunction as much as I am. And isn't there a lot to celebrate? Of course, You wouldn't think that if you watched just mainstream media, but let's go through some of the big achievements that have happened, that are underway, that are delivering for working people in this country, whether they're in a job, looking for a job, unable to work, or retired from a lifetime of contribution. The first thing I want to point out is the National Anti-Corruption Commission. Of course, this was one of the first bills that the Labor government put through the parliament. It does take time to set these things up. You can't just find former justices from the High Court on any street corner. You can't just find appropriately qualified anti-corruption experts lounging about in cafes. You've got to find the right people to staff these things. They have to be set up properly. The regulations that go with the laws have to be robust. And of course, with Mark Dreyfus, one of Australia's most prominent legal minds as Attorney General at the Commonwealth level, we have a National Anti-Corruption Commission that will be the envy of most of the world. In fact, it's so likely to be effective that the Robodebt Royal Commission, people might remember that Bill Shorten and Anthony Albanese announced this Royal Commission into Robodebt, the scandalous, scandalous set of circumstances that led to the Morrison government and multiple ministers of the Morrison government conducting an attack on Australian citizens using fake debt notices. So damaging has this been that not only has Alan Tudge now finally resigned from parliament, been replaced by the great and glorious Mary Doyle, former colleague of mine from the ACTU, as the member for Aston, the first Labor member for Aston in a very long time, first woman ever, as I understand it. Not only that, but Stuart Robert, the man with two first names, has also resigned from Parliament. Of course, he announced it and then sat around for a couple of weeks before he handed in his resignation uh, formally, which led to Anthony Albanese condemning him for resigning but not resigning, not coming to parliament, not turning up to his job but actually taking the paycheck, which is, I think, fair enough on behalf of the Prime Minister to call that out. And within 48 hours of it being called out, Stuart Robert had formally resigned. Both those ministers, former ministers, I should say, were under a cloud from the Robodebt Royal Commission. The commissioner, uh, Catherine Holmes, I believe her name is, has asked to hand down her findings after the establishment of the NAC formally comes into being. This means that she will be able to make referrals directly to the National Anti-Corruption Commission in July. So we all look forward to reading that report. Those are two massive pieces of cultural change that the Labor government has brought about. The National Anti-Corruption Commission and, of course, the RoboDebt Royal Commission. But there are so many more things that Labor has delivered. In fact, in a recent interview in the Sydney Morning Herald with David Crow, 
Anthony Albanese was asked about what he was proud of, and here are some of the things that he said. Delivering more generous childcare subsidies, extending paid parental leave, both of which campaigned for by the union movement, more money for bulk billing on Medicare, Medicare, of course, defended by the union movement, support for a Fair Work Commission decision to lift the minimum wage, reforms to the Fair Work Act to make secure work an objective of the law, a pay increase for aged care workers, the passage of a federal law to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by the year 2030, the expansion of the safeguard mechanism to achieve that target, subsidies for TAFE so that 180,000 places are free of charge, the same for 20,000 places at universities, paid domestic violence leave, an improvement in relations with China, the formation of the National Reconstruction Fund to invest in industry, the plan for a $10 billion fund for housing, which we've discussed on the week on Wednesday, and why the Greens and Peter Dutton are wrong to be blocking that, as well as greater funding for arts institutions such as the National Gallery and the first steps in an overhaul of the migration system so that people are not here on ongoing rolling temporary visas and trapped in abusive and exploitative uh, labour arrangements. An amazing number of those things, of course, have been fought for by the union movement. Tony Burke has put out uh, a nice little meme with a checklist of things. We've got the fastest wage growth since 2012, secured a 5.2% increase in the minimum wage, banned pay secrecy laws. These are the laws that are used to keep women's wages down, but not just women, any worker who wants to try and band together with their colleagues who's subject to one of those clauses could be in breach. Secured a 15% pay increase for aged care workers. Uh, More jobs than any government in its first year in Australian history. Best employment outcomes for women in full-time work in 50 years. And of course, multi-employer bargaining. These are all key things that the labour movement has campaigned for. And of course, in the LGBTIQA plus space, they have prohibited discrimination against trans people and people with variations of sex characteristics in the Fair Work Act. This is protecting people in the workplace. Never been a better time to join your union. Because not only that, the union movement has secured from the Labor government an energy transition authority. It has secured the capacity now for working people to have some, say, some security over their future, even as our energy system transitions and is disrupted because it needs to be as we move towards low and zero emissions. You can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow. And of course, we know that the union movement has campaigned across all of these issues over many, many years. But it's not just in direct wages, conditions and employment areas. The union movement has also campaigned on issues around the NDIS, making sure there's investment in specialised planning, making sure there are improvements in independent living, fighting fraud in the NDIS so that the public's belief and 
sense of assurance that the system is run appropriately and for the benefit of people who most need it is a solid foundation. Labor, of course, is cracking down on cowboys and sham contractors. It's cracking down to make sure that there is proper compliance on payments and getting fraud out of the system. We've seen stories just this week of how some NDIS participants are being exploited by unscrupulous providers in the system. Bill Shorten is determined to crack down on this, and we know that the crackdown on dodgy providers, fraudsters, sham contractors, and exploiters will save money. Growth in the NDIS will will still be 8%. It's significant growth. That is far more than almost any other program in government but that's down from 14% growth. So if you can reduce the cost to the taxpayer while improving the services to citizens, that is a phenomenally good outcome and one that must be supported. We also know that small businesses have had a good time under Labor too. Labor's increased the instant asset write-off threshold to $20,000 for small businesses. It's reduced the amount of time small businesses have to spend doing their taxes by streamlining small business tax arrangements. Put in place a rebate of up to $650 for eligible small businesses on energy bills and an additional 20% tax deduction for energy efficiency upgrades, as well as putting out a round of digital solutions grants to help small businesses adapt with new technology. We know that technology is a fundamental part of driving productivity and improving the overall living standards of people in this country because improved productivity means greater wages and better conditions. And of course, they've also updated the Commonwealth procurement rules to ensure small businesses get a bigger share of government contracts and making unfair contract terms illegal. We know that under the Morrison government, big business had its way, not just with working people, but with small business as well. One only needs to look at the scandals that have been uncovered in the way that big business was allowed to rot and exploit the Morrison government during its tenure. Morrisonism started under Abbott. It continued under Turnbull when Morrison was treasurer And of course, it reached its zenith when he was prime minister. Billions of dollars were wasted on consultants, billions of dollars that should have flown into the pockets of hardworking Australian public sector workers and small businesses delivering government services and supplies instead were shipped offshore. This is an extraordinary, an extraordinary way to manage the economy of this country by allowing multinational corporations to exploit the Commonwealth Treasury. Of course, trade is a legitimate way that Australian businesses, governments can interact with foreign corporations and foreign governments to improve the living conditions and living standards here in Australia and indeed overseas. And we've seen Labor deliver a $31.9 million boost to trade across 
the region through the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, as well as new programs to support world-class producers and to diversify our exports. Australia has done very well exporting natural resources to the rest of the world. But if we want to be a country with high living standards, regardless of the vagaries of resource commodity prices, we need to have advanced manufacturing. We need to have a diversified industrial base. Under Labor, there is a plan to do that. There is a multi-billion dollar fund to help diversify our industrial base so that we go from the bottom of the OECD in terms of the diversity of what we produce and how we produce it to at least mid-table. And I think if Albo gets his way, he'll see us somewhere near the top. Of course, people who listen to The Week on Wednesday will know that we have a significant interest in the arts. My co-host for Wednesdays, my wife, Van Batham, is obviously an artist, a playwright, an author, a Guardian columnist, and the arts have received a new cultural policy for the first time in almost a decade. Funding has been restored to national galleries, museums, trove, the literal treasure trove of Australia's archives has been saved. There's been an increase in the screen industry location offset to encourage more productions here in Australia. And of course, there's been an investment in Ausfilm to help facilitate that as well. One of the big issues that comes up from time to time is the environment. People always want more to be done on the environment, and rightly so. Rightly so. Climate change is the existential threat of my generation and the generations that have come after me. I attended the the Paris Climate Talks, and I can tell you that there is no more serious external threat to the security, the safety, and the prosperity of Australia than climate change. Scientists tell us that all the time. It's one of the reasons why Labor has invested so heavily in the environment. 30% of our land and 30% of our oceans will be protected by 2030. There is now a legislated path to get to net zero. Labor has approved double the number of renewable energy projects. It's worked to deliver the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, put aside nearly a quarter of a billion dollars for programs to save threatened species. It's proposed tripling the size of the Macquarie Island Marine Park. It's rewritten Australia's environment laws, starting with our Nature Positive Plan, including establishing Environment Protection Australia. A key promise of the Labor Party in opposition was to set up an independent EPA. The budget that's just been announced delivers that. There was $150 million to deliver safe drinking water to remote First Nations communities. There was restoration of places along Sydney Harbour. Labor's doubled the funding for national parks, including Uluru and Kakadu. It's strengthened laws to remove ozone-depleting gases from our air, set a target of zero new extinctions. It's funded 48 more recycling facilities, 12 of which have already been completed. 
and has invested $1.2 billion to protect and restore the Great Barrier Reef and investing in creating the circular economy to reduce waste and emissions. Of course, people have attacked Labor for approving some new mines. In fact, I think there's one mine that has been approved, a metallurgical coal mine. As I have pointed out on social media, metallurgical coal is used in the production of steel and other metals. It is not used to burn for energy, and at the moment, it is a product, a commodity, that has no immediate replacement. There is lots of work going on to try and find other ways to create steel and other metals that rely on metallurgical coal, but at the moment, no practical replacement exists. We continue to look for good news stories about that, and if you have some, please do send them to us. We would love to promote the capacity to reduce emissions by reducing reliance on metallurgical coal. This brings me to my next point for this episode of the week on Wednesday. A year into Labor being in government at a federal level, they've delivered a budget with a surplus, something that nobody thought was possible and that hadn't happened at all during the era of Morrisonism. It has increased job seeker. It has increased rent allowance. It has increased the number of people eligible for single parenting pension and the length of time for which they are eligible. It has increased taxes on super wealthy hiding their money in superannuation accounts. It has increased taxes on oil and gas projects so that Australians start to get a fairer share of our natural resources. And yet the focus is continually on what the media believes are negatives for the government. Just this week, we saw the media attack the Albanese Labor government over the cancellation of the Quad meeting. For those of you who don't know, the Quad is a meeting between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States. It's one of many multilateral international engagements that Australia participates in. And it was due to meet in Sydney this week. That meeting was cancelled because in the United States, President Biden faces the prospect of a debt default. Now, what does that mean? Basically, the US is such a failed state that its Congress continually plays a game of brinksmanship with the president. So the Republicans in Congress basically threaten to stop the government from borrowing more money to pay its debts and thus bankrupt the United States. President Biden needs to be present to sign laws into being. That's how it works. If a law is passed that raises what's called the debt ceiling that would allow the Democrats to borrow more money to pay the bills that the United States has to pay, Biden needs to be there to sign it. If the Republicans push through a law that has to be vetoed, well, Biden needs to be there to sign that too. So the Quad meeting was cancelled because Biden has to deal with the domestic politics of his own country. Somehow or another, some elements of the media 
decided to make this a failing of the Albanese Labor government. Bizarre. Simply bizarre takes have been promulgated in the boss's pamphlet, in the Murdoch rags, as though somehow or another Anthony Albanese should have resolved the United States Congress's schizophrenic approach to how it deals with its budget. Here in Australia, Anthony Albanese, Jim Chalmers, Katie Gallagher, the entire Labor caucus has dealt with our budget in a responsible way. So much so that we received the highest possible credit rating from the International Credit Rating Agency just this week. This is a hugely positive situation. But of course, the media constantly looks for the negatives. Another classic example, Labor committed to having a referendum on the recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in a constitution and giving them a voice to make representations to Parliament and the government. Now, the final parts of the machinery required for that referendum to take place are likely to pass Parliament in the first week or so of June. Of course, there are campaigns running, a yes campaign and a no campaign. We are very firmly in the yes camp in this household. If you're not a yes voter, please reconsider your position. More than 80% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders want the voice. That is a huge number. There is no other issue in Australia that impacts a community where 80% of that community support a particular single solution. None. And if you don't support the voice, you really need to consider why. This is an opportunity for us as a nation to embrace hundreds of thousands of years of history of the land and then our First Nations coming to the land, I believe it's 65,000 years of history, actually, that we can be part of, that we can walk together. The offer has been made for Australia to go from a very young nation to one of the oldest in the global community. What a fantastic, what a fantastic offer. The referendum will happen. Now, of course, the media likes polls. Polls indicate a race, and it's easy to report on a poll. There's one number that's high and one number that's low and one team that's ahead and one team that's behind, and then you get to speculate on all the reasons why. And, of course, with The Voice, we had two polls this week, an essential poll and a resolve poll. Now, the essential poll has the voice ahead in every state except for one, where it is behind 49, it only has 49% support. But even then, it's ahead of the no vote. The rest are undecideds, right? So you've got almost 60% national support in the essential poll, a poll that has been running consistently for six or seven months and has shown 
while the number bounces around a little bit from state to state, actually in some states, support is well up. That got very little media coverage. Why? Because the voice succeeding, the voice doing well, the yes campaign winning is to be expected in the media circle. After all, the government supports it. Peter Dutton is opposed to it. So the conflict here is when the no vote is up or the yes vote is down. And what does the Resolve poll show? Well, it shows the yes vote is down slightly. It doesn't show much of an increase in the no vote, but it does show a decrease in the yes vote. So what does media focus on? The decline in the yes vote in the Resolve poll. One poll, one number. Now, there were two polls this week, and there are six numbers. Yeses, noes, and undecideds. But of course, the media wants the sense of conflict. And this is part of the problem that we've had in this country for such a long time, is that even though the majority of Australians support the voice, Consistently, the polls show the majority of Australians support the voice. The media has spent the week pretending that there is some kind of great collapse in support for Indigenous recognition and the voice. Then commentators start to write pieces about why this has occurred. Not the media coverage, but the collapse, the quote-unquote collapse. And of course, it empowers and emboldens the fringe elements who don't support the voice. It empowers and emboldens those who use openly racist language to attack public figures who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. And we saw this week Stan Grant, one of the most prominent First Nations voices in this country, announced that he will be stepping back as host of Q&A. Now, I should say, I'm not a big fan of Stan Grant and his style of hosting Q&A. I don't think it's something that I particularly enjoy watching him do. But the visceral racist hatred that gets levelled at Stan Grant is part of an ecosystem created by false narratives about what is actually going on in our society. I'll give you another classic example. This week, the Liberal Party in Victoria held a meeting in Bendigo. Now, I think Insiders covered some of this as well. So I actually didn't watch Insiders this morning. It's just, they're just not inside the tent. They're just not actually Insiders. And when you look at what Labor's done over the last 12 months, if you asked David Spears or you asked uh, Phil Curry from the boss's pamphlet, you know, they just n- no idea those things were going to happen, no concept of what was going to happen. I mean, to his credit, Phil Curry, as I understand it, say on Insiders, did say it's been a good first year for a first-term government. So that's good. That's nice. But they talked about what happened in Bendigo with the Victorian Liberals. Because, of course, as Van and I have discussed on the week on Wednesday, 
the Liberal Party is tearing itself apart. The party of Menzies is dead. It's over. It failed to understand that climate change was the great existential threat. Instead, it tried to pretend that how people worshipped their gods would be the existential threat on which they would build their post-Soviet collapse uh, model. And, of course, that hasn't worked out. Menzianism relied on the idea that there was a different system of government that the Australian people needed protection from and that government would effectively manage things domestically while letting people get on with their lives, take advantage of improvements in technology, continually have better living standards. Howard Howard was very good at tap dancing around what was the existential threat, so much so that even in 2007, he was proposing putting a price on carbon. He had gone from a complete climate change denier to understanding that the existential threat was climate change. Too little, too late. By which stage in 2007, his party had been hijacked significantly by climate change deniers and is now run by Peter Dutton and by an extreme fringe, even in Victoria, by far and away the most progressive state in Australia, referred to once by a liberal as the Massachusetts of Australia. Highest Labor primary vote at the federal election in Victoria. And, of course, what do we see? (laughs) We see the Liberal Party having its state conference in Bendigo being hijacked by supporters of Moira Deeming, the turf whose protests are now consistently attended by Nazis. This is a Liberal Party that boos its own leader, possibly the only electable Liberal in the state of Victoria, boos him and walks out, cries shame when he gets up to speak. Now, the media analysis will be about an internal power struggle. There is no internal power struggle in the Liberal Party. John Pesuto is fighting for the very soul of the Liberals. For the Liberals to return to a Menzian tradition of small-L liberalism and big-C conservatism, it has to rid itself of the Moira Deemings, the Nazi sympathisers, the people who are anti-other people. We live in a society that is stronger for its diversity. We had Ida Hobbit this week. Ben and I talked about it on the week on Wednesday. Every local government area in Victoria raised the rainbow flag for the first time in the history of both the state and colony of Victoria that happened. And yet, only a few days later, only a few days later, the supposed natural party of government in Victoria, a party which, by the way, has barely been in government at all over the last 20 years, walked out on its leader in support of someone who is anti-Victorians, who is opposed to the very existence 
of a percentage of our population. It is unimaginable that that could be a party of government in this day and age. We have moved beyond that. You only need to look at the way Labor has governed over the last 12 months. It is a government that is pro-people, pro-Australian, pro-lifting living standards, giving people the freedom to be who they are, protecting those freedoms in legislation. Compare and contrast that to the Liberal Party. Of course, there are lots of things we would like to go a bit faster. We would like there to be a faster transition. We would like there to be better, cleaner energy jobs more quickly. But it's only been 12 months. It's only been 12 months since we had a Labor government elected at a federal level. And, you know, even the great Andrews Labor government in Victoria wasn't able to set up a new state electricity commission in its first term. Here we are now almost 10 years into Labor at a state level being able to have state-owned energy assets again. These things take time. And while everyone, or not everyone, but certainly a lot of people who listen to this show, certainly myself and Van, would like things like the stage three tax cuts reconsidered and redistributed in a more equitable way, services being provided and fully funded, while we would like to make sure that we were a republic as opposed to living under the yoke of King Charles, these things will take time. And in fact, there is time for them to be done. 12 months. We're 12 months into the first three-year term of a Labor government. Hopefully, it's the first 12 months of 12 years of a Labor government. But of course, that will depend on all of us, how we vote, how we campaign, how we engage with the change that's happening around us. Because it is happening. Labor is delivering changes, positive changes, for the vast majority of people. You know, it's interesting that one of the few things that Peter Dutton is absolutely committed to doing if he ever becomes Prime Minister, and by the way, he's many, 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 many points behind. One poll actually has a two-party preferred of 60-40 to Labor. But if Dutton ever became Prime Minister, you know, one of the first things he would do, he would restore the extra tax break for the multi-multi-millionaires who are using superannuation to reduce their taxes and hide their wealth. It's one of the very first things he would do. He's made that very, very clear. So while all of us want a better society, more equitable society, cleaner air, cleaner water, lower emissions, more secure employment, increases in wages. And while we should campaign for those things, while we want better hospitals and better schools and more bulk billing of Medicare and an aged care system that isn't a maze 
and an an NDIS that isn't full of exploitative traps. While we all want those things, the question you've got to ask yourself is, can we campaign for them and win them and have them delivered by a Labor government, or do we campaign for them and win them under a Liberal government? Because for the last decade, we campaigned for them under Morrison while Peter Dutton was a senior cabinet minister and things got worse and worse and worse. So I'd much rather campaign to improve things, to make them better, to make sure Labor has a very clear mandate for change so that Labor knows the community wants the things that we want. There will be no week on Wednesday this week. Ben and I, unfortunately, have other commitments that we cannot change. I'm sure you understand. Uh, We will be back for the weekend wrap next Sunday, and, of course, the week on Wednesday will return the week after. Uh, It's just a very short break. We're not going away. We will be back. You can, of course, catch up on our back catalogue on Apple or Spotify and, of course, on our uh, supporter page. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. You'll see all of our back catalogue from the last year or so there and links to interesting articles, interesting tweets, uh, and, of course, other things as well. It's also worth, uh, in the week while we're off, checking out Socially Democratic uh, Stephen Donnelly and his crew have been making some really excellent content talking with uh, people like Emma Dawson uh, from Per Capita and John Armitage from Kudos, which is a research company, a political research company. Uh, I know John very well. Really worth having a listen to that as well. And I believe On The Job is back as well. With this this week's episode, they were looking at, uh, I believe they were looking at uh, menstruation leave. I think that's what they were looking at. Anyway, check it out for yourself. You can tell me on social media what those episodes are about. Until I talk with you again, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.